If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to begin making your way to 2 Corinthians, where we'll be looking at chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Uh, and, or, if you'd like, you can uh, follow along with us in the Version Bible app, uh, where you can follow along with the interactive study notes. If you're not sure how to get there, uh, I might encourage you to scan the QR code in your bulletin. If you didn't happen to grab a bulletin, I will not be offended if you whisper to your neighbor, how do I get there, all right? And they can show you uh, just what needs to happen. While you're making your way there, I want to offer thanks to Matt and to the praise team uh, for leading us this morning. Uh, it's always a blessing uh, to be led in worship and, and to be reminded of the truths of God in song. But I also want to thank Brother Wade for the opportunity uh, to speak to you this morning. But I want to tell a quick story on Brother Wade, if, if he'll allow me. Uh, don't hear any objections, so I think it's going to be allowed, all right? Uh, when Brother Wade was preparing the sermon series, meaning uh, he, was, he was seeking the Lord's will on uh, different titles and, and, and points and things like that, he, he does this uh, to be proactive in planning, but also to be able to effectively plan our recharge and community group studies and things of that nature. Uh, but in this process, uh, he will also graciously include myself and, and Pastor John uh, in a preaching rotation. Sometimes it's in between sermon series, but sometimes it's going to be in a sermon series as it is today. Um, and as he was planning, he said to me, you know what, I've, I've got a couple Sundays in November I'd like you to think about, either November 13th or November 20th. And now there are various things uh, that come into play when uh, it comes to me accepting um, a, a preaching appointment like this. Sometimes it has to do with the text. Sometimes it has to do with the schedule. This time it was primarily about my schedule. I knew I already had a conflict on the 12th, um, and so it would be unwise and unhelpful uh, for me to try and do this thing while also trying to study. It wouldn't be beneficial. So uh, I said... Um, Okay, I'll take, I'll take the 20th. The 20th will work a little bit better for me. And I can't give you an exact quote, but I'll, I'll give you the best that I remember because Brother Wade said something along the lines to me, great, I wasn't sure how I was going to handle that text anyway. <laughs> Not sure if that was a vote of confidence or just being transparent. I wasn't sure yet how I was going to deal with that. Now, this is, again, this is to say nothing against Brother Wade. I have full confidence that the Spirit of God would lead him um, in the direction uh, of the way the text should be handled. But what it is saying is that by the end of our time together, you will know whether I know how to handle the text this morning as well. Amen. All right? Um, all joking aside, I will say this. I will say this. Um, you know, we like to have fun, we like to joke around, uh, but we also recognize this, that the Spirit of God is more than able to guide our time, and that if we are faithful to uh, allow God's Word to be our guide this morning, and the Spirit of God to be our teacher, then you and I will be just fine. In fact, when it comes to Bible study, that is the key, allow the Word of God to guide your thinking to guide uh, your, your understanding and the Spirit of God to teach you what it means. 
And that's my prayer for us this morning. Well, let's read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, again, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes, We have spoken to you, I'm sorry, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And in 7 verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray again this morning. Father, as we begin to focus in on your word, I pray that Christ is our focus and that it is Christ who is exalted today. Let everything else fall away in the beauty of Christ. May your word be our guide and your spirit our teacher. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to begin this morning actually by looking at the first verse of chapter 7. And, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's a little out of order. And the good news is you're right. You're catching on quick. That is out of order. But I believe that in chapter 7, verse 1, we actually have the heart of this passage. We have the point to which Paul is building up to in what he says in chapter 6, 11 through 18. Ultimately, he says these things and then he says, since we have these promises, since could be something along the lines of a therefore, right? And whenever you come to a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask the question, what is it there for? What was said before and why then uh, is, is Paul then coming to this point? And so that's where we're beginning this morning. We're beginning with Paul's point of the whole thing so that we can put ourselves in a, in a proper perspective this morning, because in this verse, Paul issues a call to action to the believers at Corinth. Let's read it again. It says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. If we were to put this in layman's terms, Paul's call to action here is to pursue holiness. It is to pursue holiness. And so we're going to spend the focus of our time together on this pursuit of holiness. 
What is the pursuit of holiness? What keeps us from pursuing holiness? And ultimately, why in the world should we be pursuing holiness? But before we can spend time on the pursuit, or rather the call to action to, to bring holiness to completion, to cleanse, and, uh, cleanse ourselves of every defilement of the body and spirit, before we can focus on what that really means, we need to define holiness this morning. We need to answer the question, what is holiness? Now this can be uh, somewhat difficult because when it comes to your Bible, uh, we see holy, the word holy, used in several different ways. In fact, for some of you guys, it's on your front cover. The Holy Bible, right? These are the jokes, folks. All right? Pity laughs. Thank you. All right, so, so what is holiness? What is holiness? When we look in the Old Testament and when we, when we look holy, uh, the word used in reference to God... What it is, is a descriptor of his character, of his moral perfection. It is a descriptor of his purity, of his unblemished nature, of his cleanliness, of his sinlessness. And not only that, to say God is holy is really not enough because the Bible goes on to say that God is holy, holy, holy. His holiness is without comparison. It is uh, incredible and it is vast and so in we see in our bible sometimes holy is used and in, uh, in reference to god to describe that holy attribute of god which is his holiness but other times it might be used to describe something along the lines of say a holy nation and when it is used in this manner what it means is that we're talking about a nation that has been set apart from the rest of the nations of the world or set apart from the rest of the peoples of the world and set apart to a specific purpose. Most of the time, and, and, and well, really all the time in the Old Testament, it's usually set apart for the purpose of God and set apart to the Lord. But here, when we see the phrase bring holiness to completion, folks, what we're simply talking about is Christ-likeness. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. Working definition for us today will be this, is that holiness is the process of becoming less like my sin and more like my Savior. Holiness is the process of becoming less like my sin and more like my Savior. In fact, the Bible um, and, and scholars will tell you that this process is called sanctification being set apart from my sin and set apart to God's purposes, departing from my sin, leaving the old man behind and pursuing the new life that I have in Jesus, pursuing Jesus and becoming more like him. Paul actually put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Notice he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect whole, mature, complete, holy. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, that, that holiness, that perfection, that maturity. But one thing I do, forget what forgetting what lies behind I strain, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God 
in Christ Jesus. I am pursuing holiness. I am pursuing spiritual maturity. So with this in mind, with an understanding of how we are using the word holiness in the text this morning, we can now dive into the pursuit. What does it look like then to pursue holiness? And the first thing that I think we need to note is that the pursuit of holiness is God's purpose for believers. Now, if you're taking notes in the YouVersion Bible app or you're taking notes just kind of in a notepad, you might insert here. It is God's purpose for every believer. It is God's purpose for every believer. Note again, chapter seven, verse one, since we have these promises, beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. I want you to notice that Paul didn't say, since we have these promises, super Christians. Since we have these promises, fellow apostles. Since we have these promises, fill in the blank. But he said, beloved, because this was a letter to his beloved fellow brethren who are believers in Jesus Christ. So God's purpose, or rather the pursuit of holiness, is God's purpose not just for some believers or just the serious believers, but it is God's purpose for every believers. Believer, excuse me, every believer, all right? I'll I'll put it this way, much like we have considered in the last two weeks, That God has given us a ministry, specifically a ministry of reconciliation. But I would also say that God has given each of us a specific ministry that fits into this ministry of reconciliation. Just as we have said that every believer is a minister. It's not just for the special, serious, super elite church staff member, whatever. Just as everyone is a minister. So every believer is then called to this pursuit of holiness. To what degree? How should it affect us? Well, notice again, it says, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and of the spirit. This holiness is about removing sinful influence in our life that should affect every aspect of our lives. Notice it says the body. So the things that directly affect our physical bodies. But it also says the spirit. So the things that affect our thoughts, our desires, our attitude, everything should be affected by this pursuit of holiness. And every part of you should be eventually be being sanctified. I think of my brother when I think of every every part uh, in part because um, he has a, a saying that he likes to use. When he's trying to get people to to think and consider some things um, or some narratives in the Bible, he says, I want you to use your sanctified imaginations, your sanctified imaginations. It's every part, folks. Every single part should be affected by this pursuit and will be affected by this pursuit. How are we to go about pursuing the end of chapter, uh, the end of rather verse one says they're bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Take a moment to remind you when we see the fear of the Lord, we're speaking about a reverence uh, uh, for the Lord, a, 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 a reverent understanding of the nature of God. 
But as Pastor Wade shared with us a couple weeks ago, the fear of the Lord uh, is manifested in keeping God's commandments, walking in his ways, doing his will, avoiding sin, etc., etc. If you need to, um, if you want that quote again, I want to encourage you. I, I don't have it for us today, but I would encourage you to check out our website where under the uh, sermon, oh, Motivation for our ministry. Um, I believe it is in the visuals there. Motivation? I hope it's motivation. It's one of the last three weeks, all right? <laughs> it's two weeks ago. You can see that and you can and jot that down. But again, God's purpose is, uh, the pursuit of holiness is God's purpose for every believer. It is for us to depart from sin. It should affect every aspect of our lives. And we do so in the fear of the Lord as we keep his commandments, as we walk in his ways, as we pursue him daily in his word and through prayer. But what I really want us to focus in and I want us to catch is also this, is that when we say the pursuit of holiness is God's purpose for every believer, we need to also understand that this is God's purpose for every believer from the beginning. This is not just a brand new idea that God thought Oh, you know what? It's this moment in time. I think I'm just going to do this now. But this has been God's purpose from the beginning for believers. Look with me, if you will, at that phrase, bringing holiness to completion. Implies an ongoing process, and therefore, if it's ongoing, it has a beginning. The beginning for believers is when they place their trust in Jesus. This process of being made holy, this process of pursuing Jesus should begin. Now, it may take some time to get some traction all right it's a process but it does begin at that moment but i want you to to realize that this this desire this pursuit of holiness has its origins in the mind of god turn with me if you will to romans chapter 8 romans chapter 8 verse 28 and 29 says this it says and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Another way I like, I've read it and enjoy reading it is that we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. But check out what verse 29 is. Verse 29 gives us what that purpose is. For those whom he foreknew. Whom he knows. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This tells us that from the very beginning, I would even say before things are executing themselves in real time and, and Christ dies on the cross in real time, God determined. That those who would follow Jesus, those who would trust in Jesus, would then be set on this path to pursue holiness. That they would then be conformed to the image of Jesus and begin to become more and more like him. <coughs> now this is not the only place that we see this in the Bible. We see this also in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then again, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, when 
when Paul writes that we have put on the new self, we put off the old self and we put on the new self. Excuse me, this is verse 10, not 12. Verse 10 says, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Translation, becoming more and more like Jesus. And then again, taking on another element in Philippians chapter 1 of, of recognizing that this is God's plan and purpose for believers. Notice what Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 6. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So we've got an even further element. Not only is this something that God has begun and God has purposed from the very beginning, but he's also committed to his purpose and he's going to make it happen in you and through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. We're going to get to that maybe a little bit more later. But the pursuit of holiness is God's purpose for every believer. Before we move on, though, there is cause for pause. Because we need to ask ourselves the question, is there a desire within me to pursue holiness? Because God is the one who places that within us. And the Bible says that it is a proof that we are in Christ, and that we are His, and that we know Him. Yes, we can argue there will be the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Yeah, but but the thing is, the battle of the flesh and the spirit is still evidence of God's work in you. And so is there evidence of God's working in you? If there is not, then there is cause for pause. And we must examine, examine our personal spiritual walks. And see where we stand with Jesus. Do we know him? And does he know us? The pursuit of holiness is God's purpose for every believer. But the other thing that we can also recognize. We can recognize that it's God's purpose. And that he is going to faithfully carry it out. But we also can recognize that that just as this is God's purpose. It is our responsibility to yield to his purpose. To yield to his will. And so if there's this responsibility to yield to the leading of God or this, to, to yield to his work within us, then that must mean that there's the possibility to resist his will. And so what causes us then to resist the working of God? What causes us to resist this pursuit of holiness? Well, we find that out in the earlier verses where we see that the pursuit of holiness is hindered by a hardened heart. The pursuit of holiness is hindered by a hardened heart. Read again with me in chapter 6, beginning in verse 11 through 13. Notice what it says. It says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, as if he's saying, I'm speaking as to my own children, because I am. They're my spiritual children. Widen your hearts also. Well, what's going on here, and how in the world does it tie into this pursuit of holiness? I'm so glad you asked. We're going to pause for a minute, and we're going we're to break that down. We're greatly helped when we consider the context 
into which Paul is writing. I want to remind you uh, that, that there is a specific context. There's something, a specific circumstance into which Paul is writing. There's something going on and there's a purpose behind his writing. Why would Paul be asking them to open their hearts to him? Well, if you remember, as we read through 2 Corinthians and we go back a little bit to chapter 2, we can begin to piece together some things and a, and a little bit of, of what is going on. And part of this is due to a misunderstanding. Paul had made some plans that the Corinthians were apparently privy to, but Paul had to change his plans. But here's the thing, when Paul lived, there wasn't really a convenient way to call them up and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to make it this time. So they're literally just waiting there, expecting Paul to come like he says, and then, where's Paul? So in one sense, there's change of plans caused a misunderstanding on the part of the Corinthians. And they're starting to ask themselves, where's Paul? In another, but while all this is going on, we, we again glean as we read through 2 Corinthians that there are some who have come into the body of believers that some commentators would actually say are false apostles. And they're coming in and they're slandering Paul and his ministry. They're beginning to accuse Paul and say, you know what? If Paul were really reliable, he would be able to keep his word. But you know what? It seems like Paul's just a weak individual. He's just a plain old human who says yes one minute and then no the next. And he doesn't really know how to keep his word. And, and you know what? Paul's really strong in his letters. But when he's in your presence, he's just a weak presence. He's just not he's just not really that reliable. You don't need to trust in Paul and in his message. All of these things resulted in what I'm going to posit are hurt feelings and a resistant heart. And a hardened heart. So what is a hardened heart? A hardened heart is a heart that resists or refuses Instruction from God's word. It is it resists or refuses God's work in that individual, that heart. And so because of this misunderstanding, because of these false apostles, it was necessary for Paul to in his in his writings to say, open your hearts to us, Corinthians, because right now you've closed yourself off. You are refusing affection. You are you have hardened your hearts against me. And so what did it cause them to do to Paul? Well, notice it was causing them to refuse instruction and correction from Paul. Another way to put this is is it was really causing them to rebel against Paul. I think of uh, a parent. uh, Well, I have parent child example written in my notes. But really what I'm thinking about is is I'm thinking about Zoe um, and myself. Because here's the thing. You may not realize this about Zoe, but man, Zoe thinks she is always right. Man, she is always right. Even when she's not, she's always right. And it's, it's, um, it's kind of difficult sometimes. Um, because there are times when I just want to say, listen, sweetie, that ain't it. That's not the truth. But because she doesn't want to admit that there's a possibility of her being wrong, she is resistant. 
She's hardened and may rebel and even just kind of say, nope, I'm right, that sort of thing. I know that's a small example, but this is really what's going on in the hearts of Corinthians. And this is something that can be very, um, very detrimental to our, our walk with Jesus. But we'll get to that in just a minute. So, but it was causing the Corinthians to refuse instruction and correction. It was causing them to refuse affection to Paul. Notice he says, We're not res- you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. What does that mean? Well, it means that they were withholding Christ-like love to their brother in Christ, brother or sister in Christ. They closed themselves off and they could not love freely. Because they were not loving, they were also withholding forgiveness. They were holding on to bitterness. They were holding on to hurt. And they could not find it within themselves to forgive Paul. Or at least that's what a hardened heart will do to them. Ultimately, they were refusing to extend grace to Paul. And folks, the reality is is that the same, if we find ourselves with a hardened heart, is that the same things that were happening in the Corinthians, or what I believe were happening in the, in the believers at Corinth, will happen in you and I. Because a hardened heart will hinder your pursuit of holiness. Now, before we examine this a little bit, I want to I also think about why do hearts become hard? Why do our hearts become hardened to the Lord? In this particular circumstance, I think it was a misunderstanding. I think there was a misunderstanding and it caused them to be hurt. And so because there has been some sort of past hurt, almost in, in way of defense, these believers are hardening their hearts against Paul. But you see, if we, if we look at the situation again, it's not just hurt, but it's a direct result of deception. Someone has deceived them. And withheld the truth from them. And so our hearts become hard when we're, when we're hurt. Either from misunderstanding or an intentional uh, um, grievance from a brother or sister in Christ. Our hearts become hard when we are deceived. And we don't see the truth clearly. But ultimately if we look in the, our, our Bibles and especially in our Old Testament. You'll find out that hearts become hard simply because they are stubborn and prideful. I think of Pharaoh in Exodus where the Bible speaks of Pharaoh hardening his heart against Moses. Now again, we can go into that another time because sometimes it says God hardened the heart. We aren't going to get into that right now. But our hearts become hard when we are hurt, when we are deceived, and even sometimes when we're just stubborn and rebellious. (coughs) Now, we made the note that the pursuit of holiness, that which we're talking about this morning, pursuing Jesus, pursuing um, um, this holiness for which we and to which we have been called to, is hindered by this hardened heart. So the obvious question, the next question that we must ask ourselves then is how is a hardened heart softened? Well, I'd remind you that when a person trusts in Jesus... Or that a person trusts in Jesus when someone else shares the word of truth with them and the spirit of God works through the word of God to convict their heart and they humbly respond 
to God in obedience. The same, I believe, is true for any hardened heart. The word of God, the truth of God, is shared with this individual. And the spirit of God in working through the word of God begins to convict the heart of the truth of God. And, to be, and begins to, to work in and through to generate obedience. To generate humility. To be able to humble ourselves under the truth of God and choose obedience. What that means for the stubborn heart is it means that as, as the Spirit of God moves within, as the Spirit of God moves through His Word and exposes the, the hardened heart, then with his help, we choose humility over rebellion. We choose humility over pridefulness and stubbornness. Listen, folks, stubbornness is horrible. I mean, it, it, we, we look at it and we kind of wink at it sometimes and say, oh, man, he's just stubborn. Y'all, stubbornness is just pridefulness and rebellion. It's nothing to wink at. And here's the thing. It'll kill you. If you persist in that stubbornness, especially if you don't know Jesus and you persist in that stubbornness, the Bible says it'll kill you. But with God's help, we choose humility over stubbornness and rebellion. For those who are, are dealing with hurts, hardened hearts due to hurts, we must choose grace over condemnation. We choose forgiveness rather than vengeance. Recognizing that God cares about justice and that if there was in fact an intentional grievance, grievance and if somebody did in fact sin against you, that it is in the word of God and it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God cares about justice. He's going to take care of it. But his justice is better than your justice. It's perfect. And quite honestly, it's probably, again, if this person is an unbeliever who's offended you, then his justice is far more severe than I think you realize. Because it will be his wrath poured out on them if they never, if they never repent. But if not, God desires repentance. God desires reconciliation. And so... With the Spirit's help, we choose forgiveness rather than vengeance. And we allow God to do what he says he will do. Folks, when we open our hearts, as Paul was appealing to the Corinthians here, it allows the Spirit of God to work freely in and through us to transform us and make us more like Jesus. Key word there is freely. I'm not saying that the Spirit of God can't work if we're resistant, because the Spirit of God can do, well, God can do whatever He wants. And he, his, his will will prevail, no matter what. But man, if we are a willing vessel, it goes much smoother. He can freely work in and through us to transform us, to make us more like Jesus, to make us more holy. 
But you see, in open heart, opening our hearts and softening our hearts to the Lord, we need to be discerning. Because I think it's fair to say that the Corinthians were not always hard-hearted. I think there were times where maybe they were, <laughs> their hearts were kind of soft and they were open to Paul and these other things. And when they were open to Paul, um, it turns out that they were open to all sorts of different people and they were led astray by these false prophets. And so when we open our hearts, we must be discerning because we too can be led astray if we are not careful. We must be discerning because in our pursuit of holiness, because our pursuit of holiness is influenced by our relationships. It is influenced by our relationships. You see this instruction here in verses 14 through 17 is not, uh, again, just something that Paul is pulling out of the air, but it is in direct response to the circumstances which uh, are going on with the church that is uh, the church there in Corinth. So let's read together again verse 14 through 17. Paul says to them, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. We're going to stop there and then we'll pick up the rest in just a few moments. Again, our pursuit of holiness is influenced by our relationships. Paul is speaking to a specific circumstance here. And he is specifically speaking to these Corinthians who are very likely continually being deceived by false apostles, by people who are slandering him, by people who are pulling them away from the truth. And so his instruction here, if I can bring some clarity, is not don't have anything to do with unbelievers. His instruction is not you don't ever need to talk to unbelievers. You don't ever need to associate with unbelievers. Now, you might be sick, but he says agreement. He might even say associate. What do you mean he's not saying that? That's not what he's talking about. And the reason that I can confidently say that he's not saying don't ever talk to them is because we are God's plan for unbelievers to come to faith. We've got to talk to them if they're going to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that can't be what Paul means here. But his instruction here has everything to do with influence. And it's made clear through the example. He's not saying never have anything to do with him, but what he is saying is do not allow yourself or submit yourself to be directly influenced by an unbeliever. Meaning that they have the prevailing voice in your life. Meaning that they have the primary directing focus of your life. And there's a reason for that that we'll get into in one, in one minute. But before we do that, I think the reason that I can confidently say that he's focused on influences is because he is specific and purposeful with his choice of a picture to use. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, if you are from the city, 
And if you speak the English language, which many of us do and many of us are, then your understanding of the word yoke probably goes as far as an egg. Because if you think of an egg yolk. Sorry to burst your bubble. That's not even spelled the same way. That one's Y-O-L-K. We're talking about Y-O-K-E. The picture which Paul chooses here is in reference to a yoke. It's actually in reference to an Old Testament instruction. That's why he chooses this verbiage. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 Verse 10, you find the instruction, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Don't put these two animals together because they'll be unequally yoked. Because what a yoke is, is a piece of farming and plowing equipment. It was used to bind two animals together so that they could pull pull a piece of farming equipment. And so that was easier for you to plow. It was easier for you to farm. It was used specifically to direct the course of the animal. And so this instruction, do not yoke an ox and a donkey together, well, in part, it was because one animal was clean and the other one was unclean. But I think really most of it, and as we kind of see here in our text, is that it was about the differing natures between the two animals. Both animals have differing natures, and in this work... In the pulling of the plow, the more stubborn and more chaotic would likely win out. Because the yoke was all about directing. And so he's saying, don't put those two weird animals together. Not weird animals, sorry. Don't put those two different animals together. Because you're just going to be all over the place. And you won't accomplish the task at hand. You won't be able to effectively plow the field. But Paul takes it. And he applies it to the realm of our relationships and specifically to the realm of our relationship with unbelievers. And he is saying that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We shouldn't be yoking up with unbelievers because that is unwise. We must not be submitting ourselves to the direct influence of an unbeliever because it will ultimately determine the direction of our course. It's ultimately, is it going to to place us on on the trajectory to follow holiness, to pursue Jesus, or is it going to take us somewhere else? And to, again, to help us to understand how it, is, how it is unwise for us to yoke up with unbelievers, that is, to submit ourselves to the direct influence of an unbeliever, he uses five different comparisons. He uses five questions and five comparisons of, of these uh, different topics which are, are drastically opposed to one another. You can't have righteousness and lawlessness together in one spot. You can't have light and darkness together at the same time. It's impossible. This one got me. Verse 15, Christ and Belial. Belial is a, is a Hebrew term that, that references the devil, that references the enemy. It references Satan. What accord has Christ with Satan? There is none. 
Paul uses all of these descriptors. And man, he uses five words, five different words to describe the association and the relationship. He says, this is what, here's the thing. You don't need to be under the direct influence of this unbeliever. And this is, I mean, this is why there is deferring natures here. There is deferring directions here. And it's not going to help you in your pursuit of Jesus. And specifically, if you keep submitting yourself to these false prophets, then you won't know the truth. You need to not be yoked up with them. Again, the false prophets, that's the direct circumstance here. But he uses all of these questions for the purpose of underscoring the vast differences between the nature of a believer and of an unbeliever. Again, I mentioned this a moment ago, but if we yoke up with an unbeliever or submit ourselves to be directly influenced by an unbeliever, it will affect our trajectory. It will affect our pursuit of holiness. Because the reality, folks, is this, is that our relationships, whether with believers, unbelievers, either one, our relationships are constantly either drawing us closer to Christ or they are drawing us further away from Christ. That is the reality here. And so your pursuit of holiness is going to be influenced by your relationships. So the question that we've got to consider this morning is what do your relationships look like? Are you being directly influenced? Is your primary direct uh, influence and, and the one who speaks into your life, is it an unholy source? Is it an unbeliever? Someone who's not on the same trajectory as you? Or is it uh, a family member or, or a believing family member or a member of the family of God? What is your primary influence and folks, I, I will say that I think we tend to do a good job when we're, in, when, when we're in person with people, when we're in community, when we're around specific people, we're around other humans in a setting like this. We're probably really good about being discerning on who we allow to speak into our lives. But there is another element in our lives where I don't think we're quite as discerning and our guard is often laid down. And that is within the realm of social media. Our student ministry, uh, or recently in our student ministry, we've been uh, trying to seek the answer. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And we've been using Jesus' call to uh, Peter, uh, Andrew, James, and John in Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We've been using that particular quote to, to guide our thinking and to guide our answering of this question. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And a week ago this last Wednesday... Um, we focused on the phrase, I will make you. I will make you. And we recognize that when we're focusing on this phrase of I will make you, that, that Jesus has a purpose in mind that he wishes to accomplish in and through us. And we also kind of noted that if there's a, a follower type relationship when it comes to Jesus, then someone's got to be leading. And Christ is the one who leads and, and we are the one who follows. And therefore, we must submit to his authority. But we also took a moment to note that it's very interesting that on many of our social media accounts, the, the term that it uses or that it chooses to um, make sure that we stay up to date with different platforms or profiles is the term follow. And I don't think 
That's an accident. Because what following really means is to submit yourself to the influence and instruction of another. When it comes to social media, to follow someone on social media, to hit the, hit the button and click and whatever, we are consciously or maybe even unconsciously submitting ourselves to the influence of another person. We're opening ourselves to their influence to be able to form the way we think, to form the way we speak, and to form the way that we act. We are opening ourselves to their influence. And something that the Lord revealed to me very early on um, when, the, when COVID hit was that social media gives a voice to people that we would never allow to speak into our lives in person. I'm going to say that one more time because I hope it's as impactful to you as it was to me when the Lord revealed this to me. Social media gives a voice to people that we would never allow to speak into our lives if they were in person with us. If they were standing in front of us. It opens ourselves up to their influence. So again, we come back to this question. If Paul is saying that our pursuit of holiness is going to be influenced by our relationships and that we do not need to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, coming back to this question, what do your relationships look like? What do they look like within the realm of social media? Are you submitting yourselves to the direct influence of someone who is either uh, who is pulling you away from Jesus in these areas? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Another question we might consider is when it comes to interactions with unbelievers, who is the one who has the greatest influence? And then ultimately, I think it's important to ask the question, who then does have the greatest influence in my life? Because I think Jesus was purposeful in when he said in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is purposeful with this picture as well. Is he the greatest influence in your life? Is this pursuit of holiness affecting everything, every aspect of your life? Well, let's proceed and we'll finish here. Because the pursuit of holiness is God's purpose for every believer. The pursuit of holiness is hindered by a hardened heart. And the pursuit of holiness is going to be influenced by our relationships. But really, we haven't answered the question yet. Why should I do it? Why should I pursue holiness? Well, ultimately, our motivation and our reason for pursuing holiness is because it is our response to God's kindness. In fact, Paul in another area in the book of Romans actually says that it's our reasonable service. It's our reasonable response. So how then has God been kind to us? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 8 says that for God shows his love or he commends his love to us. 
shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just a few verses right before that, it says that Christ died for the ungodly. God has shown his kindness to us in providing Christ who died for the unholy and the ungodly in order to make us holy so that we might know him and so that our sins might be pardoned. So that where at one point in time, in our ungodliness and in our unholiness, it was impossible to know the Lord on this intimate level that through Jesus, we now have the ability to know the Lord and to be known by God. Let's look at our text again and we'll, we'll answer this question. What then has Christ sacrificed accomplished? Look again, verse 16. We're going to start there actually. For we are the temple. It says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean. And I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. What is Christ's sacrifice to accomplish? Well, there in verse 16 uh, notice that we have been made the temple of the living God. I will make my dwelling among them. We are made holy. And according to the scriptures, the spirit of God comes to indwell believers. God's spirit, the spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, comes to dwell within us and live with us. We are his temple. And notice again in verse 16, it says, I will be their God. He's our God. We can know him now where before it was impossible. We can know him intimately now before, where before it was impossible. And it says, and they shall be my people. We are his people. Not only do we get to know the Lord, but even more phenomenal and beautiful is that we are known by the Lord. We are acknowledged not by our sin, but as his children. Man, if we don't get how wonderful and beautiful that is, I don't think we quite understand the depth of our sinfulness and the despair of our plight apart from Christ. If I can put it this way, you get nothing apart from Christ. You don't deserve anything but his wrath. You don't deserve anything but the just punishment due your sin. But in his love and in his kindness, he has taken up residence within us through the blood of Jesus Christ so that we might know him and we might be known by him. And we're no longer known as those who are unholy and sinful, but we have been brought near and known as his sons and daughters. There has been a complete transformation of our spiritual identity before the Lord. And Paul says to us again, we mentioned this just a few moments ago in Romans, that yielding to the Lord, 
Surrendering our lives as a living sacrifice is the only reasonable response in light of such kindness. He put it this way just a few verses before in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, where he says the love of Christ controls us. It motivates us. We've been captivated by this love. And because his love controls us, we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who might live by faith in Jesus Christ might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, brothers, sisters, beloved. This pursuit of holiness is God's purpose for you. It will be hindered by a hardened heart. It will be influenced by our relationships. But it is the only appropriate response in light of the kindness of God which he has poured out and shown to you in Jesus. So since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let us pursue Christ, leaving all, all else behind us. Let us pursue holiness. Father, we thank you for your great kindness, which you have shown us in Jesus. We thank you for your love that did not leave us where we were, but has taken us, lifted us out of our, our sinful state has cleansed us and purified us and made us your sons and your daughters in Jesus. Father, today there is much that we have considered in this pursuit of holiness. God, I trust that you, that as your word says, that your word does not return void. Father, that you have something you wish to accomplish in us today. And Lord, I ask for your grace and your help to say yes to respond in obedience and to have a renewed commitment to our pursuit of Christ, our pursuit of holiness. Father, graciously work in us today. We ask this in Christ's name.